Welcome to another episode of Relatable Luxury. I am Dan Cruz. And I'm Oneida Cruz. In today's episode, we're going to talk about tips for building a sustainable business. And yes, you have all the details because <laughs> when we started this business, well, when you started the business and you told me about it, you started a whole different type of business. Yeah. And so you changed the business plan because you didn't think it was sustainable. Indeed. And so now you are the queen of kids, chairs and tables and parties. Yeah. Yeah. So I am always a firm believer in scrapping things that don't work. So in 2008, I had an event planning business for about six years. I realized that it just wasn't working the way it should have worked. I wasn't seeing a profit and it was time to start something new. And that's when the idea for Petite Seats came about and I created like a 30 page um, business plan, which I still have. And I knew that I needed something that would grow small, be sustainable, and I would self-fund. I didn't wanna have like venture capitalists or outside people investing to take equity because I wanted it to be completely mine 100%. Right. And I feel like many people who build businesses, they build it with their exit strategy in mind, meaning they are going to make as much money as they can on the front end and then sell. Right. So they're not really worried about longevity. They're not really worried about building something that is going to be a long lasting industry leader. Like that's sometimes what I see. Right. I mean, but talk about more about why you chose this industry. Mm -hmm. Because when we first started uh, back in 2014. Yeah, but you started this whole event planning a long time ago. Yeah, that's Probably. what I said, 2008. Yeah, even prior to that, didn't you? Didn't no. you do event planning? 2008 is when I incorporated um, the LLC. And anything prior to that was just me doing stuff for free. It wasn't a business. Right. So okay. the business was solidified in 2008. Um, but it's something that you enjoyed, and I thought you was going to take off yeah. with it. Well, the thing was, I was splitting my time between Baltimore and New Jersey, and I think that's what, that was the fatal flaw. I did a lot of events in Maryland, and it wasn't sustainable because I lived up here. Right. So almost 90% of my clients were in Baltimore, and it just didn't work anymore. But it started. you started with uh, an NFL player. Yeah, we did a wedding, and, you know, that was very, very, that was my first six-figure six event, but still, it was it was the back and forth. It just wasn't sustainable. It wasn't something that I wanted to continue to do. The pricing is so different in Maryland than it is in New Jersey. Right. So I knew that in order for me to see a profit, I had to change my pricing, but the pricing that I had in New Jersey was not going to fly in Maryland. Um, so there were a lot of things that just weren't working. Like I brought the idea to the market. It was a saturated market. There were a lot of planners um, between New Jersey and New York and Maryland. And it just wasn't, it stopped being fun. It stopped making sense because I did not have a niche that was unique. So we go back to the drawing board and I said, okay, what can I do that no one else is doing, but it's still a lane that I can expand in and I can uh, I can grow. I can be right. a, a trendsetter in that in that lane without having right. competition. But see, I know a lot of people want to know 
How did you just have this switch that turned on and said, I just want to start a business? Mm. Share a story when you were a child and you were selling. Oh yeah, I've always had this like um, entrepreneurial way about me. You know, my grandmother was the candy lady. She had a, a penny candy store, sold frozen cups out of her house. Um, so entrepreneurial endeavors were around me all the time. Like my my where my grandmother lived, they owned a um, the family owned a boarding house. So there were like these mega churches in the neighborhood, and when the pastors from out of town would come around. They would stay at, at my family's home as a boarding house. You know, they would get meals, clean bed, all of that stuff. So I saw that. I also saw, or not saw, but I always wanted to have money, right? It was always about having my own money. And, you know, I, I got, my parents got me a, a checking account, a savings account when I was very young. And I had access to it. So I was able to put money in. And this is prior to being 14 and having a legit job. Like, I remember for um, homecoming, like Morgan State homecoming was huge in, in Maryland, HBCU. And for homecoming in October, one of my father's frat brothers would like fry whiting fish and sell like fish sandwiches. And when I got of age and I was able to, you know, work the, not work the fryers, but collect money and take orders, I was there helping him, right? Without my parents, by myself, I wanna work. Right. You know, coming home with $100 a day or whatever it was. And that to me was like an endorphin rush. Like right. that was the best. Yeah. Talk about your first job. I oh remember gosh. you having a first job and, you know, I think what you last like, a month. <laughs> when I was working at Express, yeah. I didn't like it. I didn't like the idea of working for somebody else. I didn't like being on my feet and people telling me what to do in a way that, you know, I didn't like. Like they, they were talking to me like I had an, like they had an attitude with me, like they wanted to fight. And these were my managers or assistant manager, whoever they were. I just didn't like that feeling. I didn't like coming home and um, getting like a $74 check hmm. after being on my feet in Express in Towson Town Center for eight hours. You know, that was, even at 14, I knew like, I don't wanna do this. All right, so now fast forward, uh, we went to college. I yeah. felt like I went to Penn State with you, but I didn't because <laughs> I was up there all the time. But now fast forward afterwards, uh, we had all these jobs and now you're building this this brand. Mm -hmm. uh, you started with the event planning, which I thought was going well, but now you... you, you That's perception again, right. because I was busy. Right. I mean, you look, I mean, you look like you make a lot of money. I'm like, whoa, she, you know, she's out there doing this, doing that. But it was fun. It was a adrenaline run. Yeah. And I remember being dressed in all black and working. I'm like, yes. what the hell am I doing? Mm -hmm. you know? Working an event. Yeah, working an event, which I'm still working an event. We're going to work on some events to, uh, in the next yeah. couple of months, uh, which I find, find fun. But anyway, uh, now you, you thought about this plan. You're right a sustainable business, mm -hmm. different uh, different revenue to come in in mm -hmm. different ways. Talk about that piece. So in my original business plan for Petite Seats, I wanted to open a kid's play place. Like that's where 
I saw it going. Like I said, I would have the tables and chairs. We would start from home, but then ultimately we would have a, a kid's play space where kids could come, you know, stay-at-home moms, bring their kids during the day. They would play like a gymboree or something like that. And then I realized as I did more research, you know, the liability because you're dealing with babies, the commercial space because it had to be like a storefront, someplace where it was visible from the street. It was a lot of upfront costs for something like that. Right. So I said... It's too much. Let's scrap that idea, but still take petite seats and do rentals only. Right. Out of the house. Out of the house. Oh, yeah. I knew from the very beginning that I was not going to spend a lot of money for overhead. I knew I didn't want to do that because, again, I saw my brand having longevity and I knew I had to start small because the cost to purchase chairs, because remember when I started, not many people had kids chairs. So they were expensive. They were very pricey. Like I was paying upwards of $70, $80 per chair and they were few and far between. It wasn't mass produced like you see now. So I had to, um, I had to make sure that it was something that I could afford. Right. So here we are back in the late 2000s and you're thinking about sustainable business and you knew that this niche was needed and wanted. Mm -hmm. And I remember you asking a couple people to help you and to uh, really be part of the business. And I kept telling you, like, listen, if you're going to do this and you believe that you're going to you know, make it big with this. Why involve anybody? Why give somebody a percentage? Mm -hmm. You know, you got to be able to do it on your own. Yes. And, you know, you were always, you were, you were always looking for a partner. Yeah, Uh, I was. And you knew that this was going to be a sustainable business then. Yeah, I knew it was going to be a success because again, no one else was doing it. But I had anxiety about starting something that could be big and doing it solo. Like I felt like, because I knew you were going to manage the household. So I knew I had to do a lot of the heavy lifting by myself. And that was, that was a barrier to success for me because I sat on it for a while. Remember we had those chairs in the the house for a while before I really pushed go. Cause remember, I didn't even have tables when we started, you know? So it was like, Oneida, are we going to do this fully or not? And so it was a lot of, baby steps until I just said, you know what, let's just press the gas and go full throttle. But it was still within the parameters of me doing it in a manageable way. Right. You know, because again, the idea was for me to be standing here, this is almost year nine, and April will be year nine, and I wanted to be able to say that, see the fruits of my labor and not be an instant success. Because in my mind, an instant success you lose something along the way. Like you, you, you don't appreciate the journey or the struggles because it came so fast. Right. So here we are in 2023. Watch the mic, watch the mic. Sorry. Here we are in 2023. And did you, did you believe then when you put out this business that there were going to be so many other people doing it? behind you yes and i say that because when i started year two year two or three i started to see people with the same business same type of business similar names everything was petite seats right and i'm like oh wow from canada to 
Australia to the, you know, the U.S. And um, I'm like, okay, this is really something. I remember you you showing me, I think it was Australia showing me or Mm -hmm. Canada, one of those two. And I'm like, they took your name? Yeah. Yeah, and and it's like even now, everything you do is you're you're transcending the 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 um, the what, what you call it the, the space the environment. Mm-hmm. You're the transcender here. No transcender. Transcender, and yeah. you're over here. Everything you're doing, mm-hmm. people see it and they're like, "I want to do that." How does that make you feel? I don't. I tell you all the time, my only competition is myself. So you have a problem with that, but for me, damn right, I got a problem. <laughs> It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me at all because, you know, in order for somebody to copy something, it's not an original thought for them. Right. So once I have an idea, I'm on to the next one. So right. I'm on to two, three ideas after that, right? So I don't really have the the inclination to sit and be still. Like, I'm always moving to something else. So if you see something that you know, I put out, understand that I'm already on to the next purchase right. or the next thing. So it doesn't really bother me. And, you know, people are in um, my emails and my DMs a lot and they're asking me for um, advice or where did I get something? Like people will boldly ask, where did you get this? Um, I'm not in your area. Can you tell me? Blah, blah, blah. And from my experience in trying to build a sustainable business, you have to do the research by yourself. You have to spend the time to learn your niche and expand upon a niche and create a marketing plan for yourself. You cannot go to someone else and get advice from them and think that you're going to have the same or similar journey. Um, For us, like the first tip I would give is, you know, make sure you're establishing multiple streams of income within your business. So if you see me doing petite seats and you're like, oh, great, I want to jump on renting tables and chairs, right? But guess what? That's already old because that's one stream of income. Now I have three to four streams of income based off of that Petite Seats brand. So you're already behind the eight ball if, if, if it's competition you're talking right. about. Because we have Petite Seats, we have Petite Bounce, we have Petite Socials. Right. And then we have all of the ebooks and the e literature, right? So there are four different ways in which we are making money under the same umbrella. And we, I remember you talking about this like it was yesterday. You could have had Marilyn unlocked mm-hmm. with this. You know, somebody um, DM me today asking me if I wanted to franchise. Yeah, but I, you had you 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 could have had Marilyn on lock on lockdown, but it didn't happen. And you saw that vision, and had had that would have happened mm-hmm. back in when you first started. I mean, who knows where the where the business or but, where someone else could have taken Marilyn? No, but you know what? Again, and this is back to what we talked about with the last episode: is that the perception is that what we do is simple. It's it's not difficult right Right. but then when you actually get into it and you realize it's a lot of work right so it's not for everybody and like i wasn't upset that my sisters weren't able to continue petite seats maryland because i know it's a lot of work and not everybody is willing to do the heavy lifting you know i can't just hand them a business sorry i keep hitting the mic i can't just hand them a business and a business idea and think that they are going to be successful with it because I was. Right. So. But that's part of the long game. Yeah. You have to play the long game. You have to play the long game, but you have to do it in a way that 
that works for how you are as an entrepreneur. What I mean by that is, think about this. In our careers, in our jobs, we know we're going to be on that job for 20, 30 years. Off rip. We know that that is the end game. We work for 20 years. We get a pension. We get our 401k. We cash out. We retire. Right. With business, you have to look at it the same way. We have to see that, you know, year 10 is just a small milestone for us. Like, we're going to celebrate year 10, you know. Right. Um, that's 2024. 20, but many people come into business and don't even think about that. They don't even think that past year one. Right. And for me, it was always okay, these are my projections for the first five years, the first three years. And this is me not even looking for investors. This is just me understanding where I wanted to be and where I wanted to take the business. And I knew that I was not going to just be a one-hit wonder or be in business for two, three years and then sell everything and start something new. Like I knew that Petite Seats would be my legacy. That is the legacy that I am leaving for our family and, you know, whatever happens, maybe I'll sell it. Maybe I will pass it on to our children. But whatever it is, I'm playing the long game. So that's the, the second step to being sustainable or, or tip for sustainable businesses. You have to play the long game. It's not an instant success. It's not just thinking about today. Well, you know, that we live in a different generation now where our generation now is thinking, I want it now. I want it now if I'm not, if I'm not seeing the fruits of your labor my fruits of my labor right now then mm -hmm. it's not worth it well let me tell you something what i've seen and again i i monitor what's happening on the peripheral right I, like i said i'm my own competition but i'm still looking or people even share what other people were doing that is similar to me but at the end of the day i have seen people who have taken this idea of kids tables and chairs and bought a 40-foot container worth of stuff and I know it's sitting. I know that all of the tables and chairs that they have are not moving as they should because they didn't have a business plan. They didn't have a marketing plan. They saw somebody do something. They had that right. cash and they spent the money, but no plan. But let's go back to episode two where we talked about us being educators, getting our masters and doctors, doctorates where that really truly helped uh, doing a business plan, uh, creating a business plan because mm -hmm. we're educated and I'm not saying that people don't have to be, edu uh, you know, be educated going to school, but that helped us create and plan uh, this whole business plan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because when you say when you say people are just buying these containers and they're just sitting, that's because they don't have a plan. There's no plan right, in place. They right. just see people and they just go and do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm going to push back on that having a degree because a lot of the people that I know who are entrepreneurs and who are successful didn't go to nobody's school. They went to the school of hard knocks, the school of bust your butt and get the work done. But they hire people who have degrees. Right. I will say that. If they are short in whatever, the marketing, the finance, whatever, they will hire somebody that has the credentials. And like you, to your point, for us, we have the credentials. It's just utilizing it in a different way, right? right? We had years of, of um, mathematics training, right? But not business math not financial literacy, not tax planning. Right. So we had to educate ourselves in a different way, but we still did it. So let's transition to the cash flow of things. Yeah, that's king. Cash is king. We know that. We argue about that. We know. Your business is only as sustainable as what 
cash you have coming in, positive um, coming in. And I feel like to your, what we just spoke about with these containers coming in, like you can spend 60,000, 60K, 30K on inventory. Right. But if you have it sitting in a storage unit or in a warehouse and not making money, then what are you doing? Right. And for me with cash flow, because I didn't have any investors, it was me bootstrapping and financing petites from my nine to five, I was not going to spend a lot of money and not see a return on it. So every time I ordered a set of chairs, I had to have first made a profit from the set before. That's how I did it. Right. And now when we look at the warehouse, you know, it's it's a lot, but I I forgot that. Because this year is an is a example of that, right? Like I said, I'm used to breaking even with the set before. And because money was flowing or has been flowing, I started to buy stuff just because, right? Just because I have the, the, the cash flow coming in and I'm buying stuff. And guess what it started to do? It started to sit. It started to sit on the shelves because I didn't take the time that I usually take to research a product, to see all of the different parameters that I usually go through in order to see if something would move. So now I have a lot of stuff that's just sitting here and the money has been spent. Right. So we didn't plan that. <laughs> no, because money was flowing. So cash flow was, was in the positive and we did not. Um, but I think it was more so we, we did plan. You did, you did have a plan. Uh, you did have a goal. Yeah. It's just the timing of things. Agreed. You know, the timing being the winter, which is our, our which is slow season. Yeah. A lot of, we're going through the inflation. So let's That's not true. forget about that. That's true. So it's not that we didn't plan and we didn't research. Inflation has, has hit us hard. Indeed. With gas prices, mm -hmm. you know, people not being able to, you know, have parties like they used to. Yeah. Uh, yes, you have the fortunate people who are making almost a million dollars that, hey, I, I can have a party anytime. Right. But even them, they're not having parties. You know why? Not as expensive. Because they don't want others to perceive them as being wasteful, especially right. in a time. You know, like I have had, I remember during COVID, this was an issue. Like my clients would have parties and I couldn't get the pictures because they didn't want to advertise that they had a party because popular opinion was everybody is on lockdown or everybody is being cautious right so right. you spending 50k on a kids party and you then sharing it on your social media was a no-no right. so it was a lot so now we're back in this like second cycle of clients doing things in moderation and it's definitely um affected cash flow right. so the idea that you have to monitor cash flow to be sustainable is something that goes without saying like mm -hmm. you have to understand how your money is flowing before you make a move. So talk about your values now. Here we are. We, you know, we, we talked about the, the sustainable business, how it mm -hmm. started, mm -hmm. where, where it could have been if, you know, uh, Marilyn would have taken off uh, and then with the cash flow. Now, how do you not compromise your values and lead with integrity? Well, first of all, you have to have integrity, you know? In, in this business, in this tri-state area, it was an issue that just arose this week with one of my, um, my good friends, is that people are not being creative and they're just taking people's ideas and repackaging it. But because this industry is so niche, it's so small, we know vendors, we know who does what. And what I'm finding is that a lot of people think it's okay to 
be in an industry that's so small and just copy ideas. They think they're going to have longevity with that. And what I'm saying is that that's not going to go over well for too long. You can't continuously copy somebody's ideas and think that you are going to have success in an industry that's so niche. So let me ask you this. Does it matter if I have a if I have the same business? Mm-hmm. Let's say thirty minutes away, an hour away, or fifty miles away, opposed to having a business where it is uh, states away, right, on, on, on the Pacific coast, mm-hmm. or down in Australia, or New Zealand, or in another country, and mm-hmm. I copy, or I try to. I'll put simulate. it this way. Do you think that's it makes a huge difference? I think it depends on how you do it. Like, I have had people reach out to me and say, I love what you do. I would love to, like, I'm I'm considering doing this. Do you have any advice to give to me? Because I am interested in doing it. And I always direct people to my ebook, right? Because I wrote this. I don't want to have to answer questions in DM. I wrote a whole blueprint on how to start a kids party planning, a kids party rental business. But there are people who will take my basically idea verbatim and do all of the actionable steps that I've done. And it's noticeable. And that to me is, you know, I get in my feelings because I'm just like, damn, y'all ain't had no creativity. Like you just took everything down to the logo shape, down to the name. And that is where this whole idea of integrity comes in. And I'm saying that if you want to have a sustainable business, you got to be your own, you know, have your own thoughts around how to run your business, how it looks, how to market, how to brand, because it's very easy to copy somebody else's idea, but it's not easy to execute. Yeah, no, I get that. I just I just see it it could be a difference if if I'm in Arizona Mm -hmm. and I would like to start a kid's business a poll and I see your business and I see what you're doing and I may want to mimic some of the things that you're doing. I mean, you, you, you can't do it completely, mm-hmm. but if I'm 30 minutes away or an hour away, or we all doing it here in the East coast, New York, tri-state area, that's, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. It's, it's different, but not really because see what I have that others don't have is that time in, right? So I'll give you a for instance. I remember Valentino had a, a like a, a rock stud flip-flop, flip-flop with a bow. It was plastic, right? I think it was like 550, something like that. Rainbow has that same slipper for $14.99. People know, when you put it on your foot, you can't tell the difference which one is Valentino and which one was a rainbow. But people will still see both and still buy the Valentino. Right. Why? Because it's a it's a reputable brand. They know the history of the brand. Right. They know they've may have experienced the brand before, and it's just they want what they perceive as luxury. And so when I relate that to petite seats, is I put the time in. I've cultivated relationships with brands, with um, venues, with planners, with clients. So they know the brand. So you can come in and mimic everything that I've done, 
but you don't have those partnerships, those strategic partnerships, and you don't have those relationships because you haven't right. put the time in yet. Right. So when you talk about time, so how do you become a flexible employer? You know, you talk about don't do everything yourself before. How do you become flexible? So first I had to see myself as an employer. Like I did everything myself for so many, so many years. And I realized, I would say about year five, that I hit a wall because I had a demanding career and I was up and down the highway for the hours. I wasn't working. I wasn't home because I was doing this by myself. So I started to look at how to manage my business, keep my cash flow intact, keep my expenses low, but still outsource. Um, I remember having a conversation with somebody and they said, why would you do a job that you can pay somebody $15 for? Are you the CEO or are you the schlepper? Right. That is what they said to me and it I mean, we rocked had, my world. We've had that conversation several times. Yeah, it rocked my world because I saw myself as being the face of the brand and doing everything right. until I, it became physically impossible. But I also, we've also talked about it and it's good to show your face because people want to see the face of the of the brand and it's good to yeah. be out there delivering and, and making an appearance right an occasional appearance so uh, it's always good to go out there i mean to an extent it depends on how you see your brand right i have reached a point where i don't want the petite seats to be synonymous with oneida cruise i, I don't want that anymore i want it to be a brand by itself you don't have to know Oneida to know that this is the brand, this is the Petite C's brand. Like I've reached that level at this point in business at year almost nine. In the beginning, yes, I wanted people to know who I was, but now it's not important. I have no, I, I have no desire to be on the highway for 18 hours a day. Mm. I don't. And I don't need people to see me. Like it's a, it, even in the email. I wanna see you. Oh boy, please. Even in the emails, like over the summer, um, we had uh, a VA who was doing all of the invoicing. I didn't need to know anything. Like, right. unless it was an issue that somebody needs to call me, right. that was, I didn't need to be there. Um, she was able to manage everything and that took such a huge burden off of me. Right. So this is number five now, when we're talking about sustainable businesses is Sorry, not number five. Number five was don't do everything yourself. So this is number six is making sure you prioritize your people. So building a team is the only way to have a sustainable business. Right. Like I learned that the hard way. Is that is, does does that include you using me? You don't count because you don't you don't you wasn't getting paid. I still don't get paid. So you get paid in other ways. So oh yeah, you it heard, don't, it you don't, heard it, it here on relatable luxury. I get paid in multiple ways. <laughs> I said other, but okay. <laughs> so you you gotta take care of. You have to prioritize who you hire, and you have to make sure that you choose people who embody your brand. Right. Like they understand your values, they understand the core mission of your business. They are able to engage with your clients, sorry, <laughs> in a way that you would do, you know? Right. As, as I saw this. And, um, I, and, I, and I think that, fix that real quick. I, I, I believe that we've, you know, those, we had two drivers and we still have one driver because one left. 
to take a different job in, yeah, in, the, city. in the city. But both of the drivers really embodied what we were trying to do. And they yeah. were really, they sold Mm-hmm. into the business that we mm-hmm. uh, they were all about petite seats yeah they were i mean they even they, they have a jacket don't he has a coat. Yeah, whole outfit they told me he, <laughs> he told me he got a coat i'm like how'd you get a coat and i didn't get a coat yeah uh, but yeah they do embody uh yes and they and, come to the events when you have events yes and that's that's part of having that sustainable business because you have to have people that buy into your brand but it's also relationships yeah you know you ha- you have to have positive relationships mm-hmm. with your employees uh mm-hmm. make them feel that they we appreciate you and we've been on a road right we've been on a road on deliveries with them uh, to show them that you know this is something we've done right before and we're not too good to go out there and deliver and, and mm-hmm. do the, the hard stuff mm-hmm. uh, because, uh, you know, people look at us differently, right? Because yeah. we, we've we've been in so many places and we've done so many things and we have education, but we don't really, at the end of the day, we're going out there and we're doing hard the work. Hard work is hard work, yeah. right? You know, you, you are the business owner, so you're going to do all of the jobs. Yeah. You're going to do all the jobs. And the idea is that your team has to understand that, you you know, let your team own that business, meaning let them rep your your merch, let them speak about your brand um, in a way that you would because when they're interfacing with clients and you're not there, you want to have a good rapport. Uh, you want them to have a good rapport with the clients and then your clients come back and say, you know, like I had an amazing experience with such and such. Right, right. And and, and let me tell you, our driver is a, is a really, really great person. I mean, mm-hmm. he'll call you when he needs something and and he'll be like, listen, I'm going to Home Depot because I got to get this. You missed this, so I got to get this. Yeah. And it's it's never any pushback. Mm-hmm. You know, like, ah, you know, it's, you know, really, really, pe- really good people who are sold into your vision. Yes. Uh, which keeps the business sustainable. And yeah, like you said, when people call you and say, hey, you know, I have I had a really good experience. Yep. Yep. I, I don't want people to know that I am her husband when I'm delivering. I just have a hat on and hey, I'm just a delivery guy. Which, you do say that. Yeah. I don't want nobody. You know, I just. Let me Why? Because you think they're going to talk stuff? No, because I just, you know, I just want to go out there and do what I need to do. Go deliver and keep it moving, ah, you know, see. set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want nobody to treat me differently. But there there are some people who, I guess, you know, from your TikTok, I mean, from your Instagram, and be like, oh, you're, you're, uh, you're her husband. You're such and such. I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. just keep it moving. <laughs> uh, I tried to hide one day, but this lady knew that I was your husband. I couldn't hide anymore. Yeah. But we, ha- we really have good... Um, employees yes but that that was a journey in and of itself like that I, took years to, yeah. to get a build a team i wouldn't even yeah i wouldn't even call them employees i'll take that back you know they're, they're a team like you said mm-hmm. they're a really good team we really have a good team it's really good yeah and that matters so much in in building longevity and building sustainability because we can't do it by ourselves we cannot and when you try to do everything by yourself, something falls at the wayside. So that goes into number seven. And it's this idea that you have to enhance um, operational perfection. Like from the onset of my business, I've always tried to put like together a, a playbook uh, of what I do so that when I did develop this team, they right. knew exactly what needed to happen 
on a job, on a delivery without me having to walk them step by step. Right. And that's something that's ongoing. Um, it's a daily thing. It's like it's not something that's just a one time thing and you're thinking you're going to be great at it. Every day we try to strive for perfection with our operations. Right. I mean, it's different. Every day is different. Every mm -hmm. delivery is different. Every yeah. location is different. Every customer, consumer is different. Yeah. And so, you know, customer service is extremely important. It's true. It's true. And it, it comes back to focusing on the value, focus on your value proposition. Like, what are you bringing to the market? And never being complacent. Like, right. never settling with just things being how they are. Like, if someone were to say to me, like any of the drivers or whomever, this is not working. It's nothing for me to change it and do it in a way that makes sense for everybody on the team because right. I don't work in isolation. And in order to increase that value proposition for our clients, things have to run smoothly. Yeah, I remember going down to South Jersey and delivering, and uh, there were a couple of tables that we delivered, and the customer uh, wanted something different. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was like, listen, I can't go back to the warehouse cause I'm about two hours away and your party starts two hours from now, mm -hmm. but I could go home Depot and build you some tables in your garage. Mm -hmm. And we, and I actually did that. And, and the, the uh, customer was extremely happy. And uh, right. I, I really strive for, uh, people to be happy. Right. And know? at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about customer satisfaction and that, experience and them understanding there's value in right. a petite seats coming to a petite seats versus the multitude of other kids party rental companies that are out there right and i always ask how was the party mm -hmm. you know how, did the kids enjoy it great good to hear yes you know? same here i do the same thing how was how did you experience the party <laughs> yes it's true because i that is valuable feedback right that is valuable feedback um so the less like pro tip for a sustainable business is this idea that you want to each year you're in business close that spending gap. So we are right now, we have one large um, container coming in in the spring. And the way I see it, that's the last big money I'm spending for a while because I feel like that's the last of the inventory that I need. Everything else will be like a upkeep of what we already have. Right. But that's the last inventory that I need as far as a big spending. So I look forward to twenty, the end of 2023 um, and 2024 being a year where we can do some other stuff because I'm no longer buying inventory at mass. Right. Yes, yeah, so, but that will be our big spending. Mm -hmm. But we will also have to, you know, do something else with the warehouse. You know, we, yeah. you know. You know, we had a vision for the warehouse and mm -hmm. because uh, we have our inventory so much that we will have to add yes. uh, a, a few things here to make it work. Of course. So Yeah, we're, we're running out of space is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, basically. We're running out of space. We end up going to another warehouse, but that's not the plan right now because we really, really love our, our the, yeah. own, the owner here. He's yeah, a really he's an amazing landlord. He's an amazing landlord. And we were very fortunate to have such a, a, a good situation with our with our landlord because I know I hear horror stories all the time. Positive energy attracts positive energy. We hope. <laughs> And but yes. Yes, and we hope, but uh and it goes back to our last episode, you know, if if 
people are not for you, you have to keep it moving at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. Uh, you have to follow your dreams and goals and the timing is everything and positive energy attracts positive energy, which attracted us to this place here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and the owner is a really, really fabulous guy. So I don't see us leaving here. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Again, it's about relationships. And he also believes in our mission and vision. Of course. Yes, definitely. And, you know, he's rented from us. And he has, I mean, apart from the spray paint, like that's the only, the spray paint on the front asphalt, that's the only complaint he's ever, um, you know, had for us. And anytime we needed something, he's been front and center to, uh, to help with whatever it is. And again i have heard of horror stories from people who are in warehouse spaces that it just doesn't work and you know short of breaking the lease and going into debt they are in a situation that's very toxic right i mean any rental property you're going to have some issues but we've not had any issues Mm -hmm. thus far and i don't foresee us having any issues except for toilets being clogged up a couple of times, yeah. not our fault, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think uh, the business is sustainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course. Uh, we have- uh, We have profitability. Yeah, we have multiple uh, sources of incomes yeah. coming in. Yes. I think that working for yourself uh, is sustainable within itself. If you if you have your cash flow right, right. let's be very clear. But be clear if you have a CFO, like myself <laughs> i can help you if you want to hire me please just reach out to uh, uh petite seats uh on instagram and i can uh, help you out uh it's going to be a large fee thank you so much for your plug so yeah i want to go over really quickly these nine things about uh sustainable businesses because we went you know we were talking and ad living so the first one is to establish multiple revenue channels we know why. Number two is play the long game. Number three is monitor your cash flow. Number four is never compromise on your values. Lead with integrity. Number five is don't do everything yourself. So be a flexible employer. Number six is prioritize your people. You want to choose people who embody your values. Get your team engaged in the sustainability of your brand and your vision and let your team own the business. Number seven is embrace operational perfectionism. Number eight is focus on your value proposition and never get complacent. And then the final one, number nine, is close that spending gap each year you're in business. And those steps will lead you to a sustainable business. As I said, we're in year eight and a half, well, that's more than eight and a half because August 1st, not August, April 1st will be nine years. And each year we've seen a tremendous growth in profit. Right. And it's going to continue. Yes. Especially that was the reason why I resigned from my job. So we can make that happen. Exactly. And and have control of our time. Time is time is king. Yeah. Time is king. Well, so cash flow and time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Listen, so next episode, we're going to have a special special guest in the game of uh, petite seats uh, well stationary stationary yes or and, papery as they like to call it and hey for the next few episodes we're going to have guests on the show uh we're going to talk about again we're going to talk about different things in the industry 
uh, things that affect us, uh, political, uh, in the political arena, what affects us and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so stay tuned. Yes. uh, Because uh, we want you to love our show. Definitely share um, our podcast link with whomever you know that is on social media on our Instagram at uh, Relatable Luxury Podcast. Um, We're also on, what did I say, Instagram. We're also on YouTube. Um, Follow us and subscribe, share, like, comment. Um, If if you don't like it, just say, I don't like it. (laughs) Well, I don't want to know that. Um, (laughs) And we invite you to send any voice notes you have that you want to share with us after watching the episode or send a DM. We would love to hear your um, feedback. So until next episode, peace and blessings. Peace.